Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, March 3rd, 2023. I'm Mike Catropoli. All right, here we are. The end. This week went fast. This was like a, a fast week. We began the week on a high note and we're ending it on a low note. No, just kidding. Well, we did start the week on a high note with Monday's show with John Dennis, the chairman of the, of the San Francisco Republican Party. And that was a great show. I implore you, I beg you to go back. If you haven't listened and listened to that show this past Monday, the first show of the week, um, my interview with uh, with John Dennis, it was great. Uh, it's been a busy week. <clears throat> I was hoping for a very casual Friday. I was going to do something different. I was going to play music. I was going to I was going to spin the oldies. I was going to do something like Big Bopper, um, Richie Valens, you know, maybe spin some uh, music themes, movie theme songs, TV theme songs, do a trivia no, I wasn't going to do that. I was thinking about it. <clears throat> I was thinking about having like a, a a a movie. Seriously, that's a joke. But seriously, I was thinking about having maybe like a a movie quote Friday at some point where we just do like uh, well, I'll, I'll play uh, quotes from movies. You have to guess what it's from, right? So I'll play lines from movies delivered by the actors, and you have to guess what what movie it's from. I think that would be fun, don't you think? That would be fun. We have to have at least five to play. If we get five on a Friday, we can play movie quote trivia night um but so much happened between yesterday and today i mean oh my god so much i don't know where to start my brain is like with full of things to talk about and i was going to start with the the sentencing of um mr murderer um but uh which i stayed up so i i you know i'm i'm so bad with my hours my sleeping you know i do this show and it usually ends between 12.30 in the morning and 1 in the morning, my time, Pacific time, and I'm wired and I'm hungry. So I, I can't go to sleep. I have to eat. Then I got to wait like three to four hours after I eat to go to sleep because they tell me that's what I'm supposed to do. And uh, so by the time I get to sleep, it's ridiculous hours. And I, it, it was like to the point where I was like I had to go to sleep, but they were doing the sentencing live. They were doing the sentencing live like at 9.30 Eastern time. And I said, oh, I got to stay up. Uh, so I'm I'm struggling to stay up for 9:30 Eastern time uh, for the live sentencing, and you know the judge is like 10 minutes late, so it's like 20. Then it's like almost seven in the morning Eastern time. But I, I had to watch it, and it was fascinating. I thought it was fascinating. We rarely ever see, like Bill Hemmer said, we rarely ever see anything like that live because usually there aren't cameras in the courtroom like this during sentencing especially. And uh, I we don't usually see I've never seen a judge hand down a sentence live like that. And um, of course, we could have had it with OJ, but he got off. Uh, but it was fascinating. It was the whole thing was like 10, 15 minutes. Right. And the judge went through, you know, uh, his reasoning for the you know, it was it was really kind of emotional because the judge is like, you know, it's a small town. We all know each other. You know, there's like a statue of your great grandfather murder. Who I had, to, I had to take him down. I had to take it down, and all this. And I know you. I've seen you at parties, and what the hell went on through your head? And were you, you know, did you become a monster? It was all this stuff. And and finally, he, you know, does the predictable, which is uh, if if this was, hands down two consecutive life sentences. But if this was done in a movie, that whole twenty minutes would be condensed to ninety seconds, and the judge would be played by you know who that judge would be played by, right? Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman would play that judge, and who would play murder? Who would play Mister Murder? Who would play Mr. Murder? Um, I'm trying to think who could play Murda. Murda. Um, I'll come up with somebody. Maybe you have any ideas on who can 
Maybe we'll write the script together. Maybe we'll do a community script. Because this is going to be a movie at some point. It's definitely going to be a movie at some point. There's like no doubt about it. I mean, it's it's impossible for it not to be. Um, but who would play him? Who would play Mr. Murder? I'm racking my brain now trying to think. If, it was, if, if this were 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it would be Nick Nolte. That's definitely Nick Nolte, right? He looks like Nick Nolte. But, that, but 25 years ago, Nick Nolte is way too old. Is he still around, Nick Nolte? Anyway, he's too old to play the role now. Um, so I'm trying to think who would be like in the 50s. You have to be about 50, 50, between 50 and 60. Uh, I'll come up with some ideas on who can play Mr. Murder. Um, but Morgan Freeman is definitely the judge. And they condensed the 20 minutes into 90 seconds. And he would dramatically hand down the two consecutive life sentences. Would they say for the remainder of your natural life, what does that mean? It means as a ghost, he's able to go free. I don't. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Natural? What, is there an unnatural life? But they always say that for the rest of your natural, go to your jail for the rest of your natural life. Does that mean? What? Is, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I'm going to get murder off. I'm going to get Mister Murder off. I can get him off on a technicality. What if he? What if he? What if he identifies as being something else? What if he identifies as being something not natural? That means he gets off, right? Because the judge said the rest of your natural life. He said natural life. That's that's the paper. It says natural. So what if Mr. Murder transitions into something unnatural? Doesn't he get off then? I don't know. These are my Friday thoughts. I'm thinking out loud. I'm thinking out loud. I don't know what natural life means. Um so I, I, I said I was going to lead with that, and I led with that. But something happened just before, just before I went on tonight, like ten minutes ago. I was watching my favorite Fox News personality, Tucker Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson. Who names that kid Tucker? I don't know. Anyway, I'm not making fun of him. I'm not making fun of him. I'm just saying Tucker Carlson. And uh, if you, I, I mentioned the story yesterday or the day before. All the days seem to blend. All the shows seem to blend once you've done over three hundred of them. Um, but a, a kid named Knox Zajac, an 11 year old, he's a sixth grader. I'll repeat that again. Sixth grade, just entered middle school, I guess, right? 11 years old. And he had, um, discovered this book in school and it was called Nick and Charlie in the library in his school. And he checked out of the school's library. Um, the age advisory in the book is 14 years and older. He's 11. Um, Nick and Charlie, written by Alice Oseman, begins with two early teen boys stealing wine from their parents and proceeding to experiment sexually. Stealing wine is safe in Paris. What kids steal? What teenage boys steal wine? Anyway, the the what 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 do they also do? Did they go buy some? Did they go to the store and get some mussels and cook them? This book was on the stand. I would like to read you a page. So this book was on the stand. This is what he took up to the librarian. The librarian, when he took this book up to check it out, was like giddy. Was like, oh, 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 oh. would you like, the librarian actually asked Knox if he wanted a graphic novel version. A graphic novel version with pictures of that same book. So this is the book that Zach was about, that checked, he checked the book out and he brought it to his father. When he told the librarian, I want to bring it to my father, because this kid's very smart. The librarian turned like pale blue, pale blue, thinking, oh, my God, a, a parent is going to see what kind of books we have here. This is Knox. 
a very smart, he reads better than I do, 11-year-old kid reading a, a paragraph from this book he was about to check out. I asked if we should take off, take our clothes off, and he's saying yes before I finish my sentence. He's pulling off my t-shirt, laughing when I can't undo his shirt buttons. He's undoing my belt. I'm reaching into his bedside drawer for a condom. We're kissing again. We're rolling over. Obviously, you can see where this is going. I don't know if it's because we're feeling especially emotional or just tired, or these past couple of weeks have been too much. But this reminds me so much of the first time we had sex. We were both terrified, and the whole thing was kind of terrible because we didn't know what we were doing. But it was good, too, so good, because we were a mess of emotions, and we were scared and excited, and everything felt new. So this sort of thing just sort of feels like that. Nick touches me like he's scared that any minute. Now, this book was at my middle school, and it was on a stand. When I rented it out to show my dad it, uh, the librarian asked if I wanted more and if I wanted a graphic novel version. Okay. Anyone who tuned in as that was happening, I want to explain to you what that was. You're like, oh, my God, this kid Chopley, he's sick. That was Zach um, talking, Zach Knox Zajac, sorry, Knox Zajac, uh, talking about a book that he checked out of his school library. He's a sixth grader, 11 years old, and this was in his school library labeled Appropriate for 14 and older, I would say from what Zach read, and I'm no prude, 14's too young. 14's too young. I'd say 16 and older. Um, and it shouldn't be in a, in a middle school. It should not be in a public, this should not be in a public school. That's, that's pornography. What he read was pornography. And the, the librarian wanted him to give me a graphic version of that. Uh, so to, a graphic version. So pictures showing what he just read. That's, that's a porn magazine. This is how sick this country has become. This is how sick the country has become. That these people, and remember, there are adults who place these books. They're supposed to read. The school boards are supposed to read all of these books, right, before they put them in the library. So they know what's in them. So someone or more than one person read this book and said, gee, this is this is great for someone, Zach. This is great for an 11 year old. We want to get them young. And that's what it is. They want to get them young. They want to get them young. They want to groom them. That's grooming, grooming to be a certain way. They want more people to be like them, whether it's whether it's gay, whether it's bi, whether it's very sexual, whether it's liberal, whether it's progressive. They want them they want the younger generations to be them they want the younger generations to be like they are so they can dominate the they can dominate the world they can dominate society that's exactly what they want they want more people like them who will grow up to be like them think like them and vote like them that's exactly what they want exactly and it's incredibly sick. I think it's criminal. There was a time where if you gave a child a book like that, you would go to jail and go on the sex offenders list. Especially if I said, hey, hey, kid, hey, hey, kid, hey, hey, kid, hey, 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 kid, hey, here you go. You want to want a want a graphic version of this? You want to see some pictures? It's so fucking sick. But now we're in a society not where the person goes to jail, not where they're put on the sex offenders list, but where these people are called open-minded and we're also closed-minded conservatives like the governor of Tennessee. 
saying, oh, no, we're not going to allow kindergartners to have a, a drag queen wiggle their fucking pussy in their face. That's a bad thing. According to Gavin Newsom, that's a bad thing. Gavin Newsom wants that. Gavin Newsom thinks that drag queens should be able to rub their asses in the faces of young kids. He thinks it's closed-minded and bigoted and anti-gay to say, no, that's bad. This is what Gavin Newsom believes. This is the guy who's the governor of the largest state in the country, the fifth largest economy in the world, and who wants to be president. People, it is sick out there and is getting sicker, and we have to fight back. We can't allow this to continue to happen. We can't allow children to be exposed to these books. This kid is very smart. He even reads well. Like I said, he reads better than I do, and he's 11. I don't know if he understands what he's reading. Something tells me he does. But um, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely insane and sick and sick that they uh, have access to these books. This kid was smart enough to realize something's wrong with this picture here. Let me bring this to my father so he knows what's going on here. How many kids would not be that? How many kids would be afraid to bring the book back to their father? I, this father must be, I've seen him on TV, by the way. He, he, he must be, he looks like a lumberjack, but he, he must be a good father because this kid feels comfortable and secure enough to bring this back to him. How many kids wouldn't? How many kids would be afraid to do that? And would just read this stuff and be indoctrinated and have it in their head and be fucked up by it and be indoctrinated by it or be groomed by it. It doesn't belong. This doesn't, this doesn't belong in schools. This doesn't belong in schools. It doesn't belong anywhere near children. This is a book that an adult or a young adult should be able to go to a library, a public library, and rent if they're old enough, if they want to, if they're at the point where they want to rent this stuff and read about it. Not where it's in their public library. I can't imagine this. I'm trying to think back to the books I had when I was 11 years old in sixth grade. I remember books about reading, about math, about English, um, you know, up in Sinclair's The Jungle. I think that was even maybe a few years later. I don't think I read that when I was 11, maybe 13, 14, 15. These are A Catcher in the Rye, even A Catcher in the Rye. People, A Catcher in the Rye was once considered a little too much for someone 11 years old. So A Catcher in the Rye was more like, you know, four, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, you would read Catcher in the Rye. Oh, you got to wait till you're 15 to read Catcher in the Rye. Now 11-year-olds, they're putting pornography in the libraries and schools. They're putting pornography in the library for 11-year-olds. And to, to listen to this kid read this stuff, you should see the video of the parents just behind him. They just, the parents behind him are just shaking their heads, rolling their eyes. They cannot believe this. They cannot believe this. And I can't believe what's happening. I really can't. Once again, Vlad, I'll get you in two seconds. Anyone else who wants to call in, call on it, call in, make it an easy Friday show for me if you want. But um, well, there's a lot more to talk about. But this is just disgusting. This is disgusting. These people are insane. They are sick. And they're trying to make the, the, the younger generations as sick as they are. I just hope more of them are like this kid. I hope more of them are like this kid. 
and can have the self-awareness to know what's happening. The self-awareness to know what the adults are trying to do to them. But the parents are the ones who have to strike. Let me tell you something. My grandmother and grandfather, if my parents, when they were children, had brought this back to them, let's say whenever it was, what was it, 60s, 70s, if they had brought this back to them, both my grandmother and my grandfather would have gone to the school and knocked out the librarian. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Parents have to fight back. And no, I'm not saying go to school and knock out the librarian. You know, yeah, yeah. But you need to fight back. People need to fight back. Like this father is going on television, showing, exposing what's happening. Exposing what's happening. And also electing people who are not going to allow this stuff to happen. Electing leaders who won't allow the Unlike Gavin Newsom promotes it. Gavin Newsom wants to promote this stuff. He believes in it. He believes in it. He goes after Republican governors when they outlaw this stuff. When, when Republican governors put in laws, when legislatures in Republican states put in laws like in Tennessee or now Florida, put in laws to protect children, he tweets as though that's a horrible, closed-minded, bigoted, anti-gay thing. Because the people in his state, in this fucking shithole outdoor sanitarium, California, love it. They think it's good, just like he does. They think he's being a hero for pointing out this stuff. This is what I live among. This is who I live among. I got to get out of here. Vlad, are you going to help me get out of here? We got to run out of here. But do you know what was better? What did they do to uh, what did they do? What did the French and the French Revolution do? Did uh, that kicked off the French Revolution? What did they did? To, what did they do to King Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette? Did their heads you get remember? Off? Exactly. I think we're gonna have to come down. I, I I'm not look. I'm not for violence. I'm a very pacified, uh, very peaceful American. Okay, but I think the time is is is, is coming. Where if they don't change their ways and they don't stop their nonsense and their perversion, that's going to be what's going to kick off the next civil war, American civil war. It's not going to last too long. Just enough to take out the enemy. Just enough bloodshed. And it's in, it's in our constitution. From time to time, the blood of patriots and tyrants must be shed in order to refresh the tree of liberty. These people have gone way too far. And when Vlad, you're attacked, you know, Vlad, Vlad, you, Vlad, you know only the government's allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, no, no, it's not going to be the look, government. Look at, look at Malcolm X or or Martin Luther King or JFK. Only the government can put out those kinds of uh, edicts <laughs> or or hits, whatever you might want to call them. Yeah, yeah. If they're in power, if the left is in power, forget it. They're going to want their own version of totalitarianism. But you see, what's sick is is. You see, if it was at least a form, and I'm not trying to approve of it, approve it or anything, okay? Or, you know, condone it. If it was at least a type, a type of Stalinist, uh, Soviet style communism, that would be one thing. If it was, if it was a kind of Nazi under Hitler, that would be another thing. They were very moralist. They were very pro traditional family. Okay? They weren't all about the LGBTQ indoctrinated kids or trans. You see how different those tyrants were? Yeah, they had a heavy hand with people. 
and hard rules. And they treated them harshly and rude sometimes and cruel. But they weren't all about, let's indoctrinate, let's, you know, let's have the village people become your teachers, you know, and, and, and trans story hour and all this bullshit at the library and, and, and cartoon pornography in the library and people trying to do everything in government on the left to try to try to take power away from the parents at the school. Whether it's the, the, you know, the parent school meeting, whether it's the, the board members of the unified school district or whatever, or at the government level, they're not doing that. Or they're not putting up laws to, to, to go after religious people for trying to quote unquote, uh, detransition people or before they transition, what do they do? Uh, you know, not allowing to be gay or trans, you know? Yeah. Like what, what they did here in California. I mean, that, that is sick. I mean, we're going to have to take matters into our hands sooner than later. I would like to say that not, that, that shouldn't happen. I don't want to see that, but yes, there's no other way these perverts will understand. We need to take out reprobates united. That is a front. And that, that's not, and that's not a union. They, they come as a union. Reprobates united needs to be taken down. This is a globalist thing. It's, 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 it's not just it appeared here. It's been fomenting. It's been fermenting in the background for the last 40, 50, 60 years. It's part of the, the Carnegie Rockefeller. It's part of the, the Club of Rome. It's part of the, the CFR, which is the Council of Foreign Relations. It's part of building. It's all part of that Illuminati Freemasonry, United Nation Agenda 2030. It's all part of their, 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 their plan, their master plan. You know, is, you what, know do you, what do you say, Mike? It's so easy for parents to protect children. Look, the parents are the ones who have to do this, right? The kids can't. This is this Zajac kid is a really, really smart kid, okay? But you can't rely on an 11 year old to protect themselves from these crazy adults. The parents are the ones who have to protect the children from these crazy adults. They're the ones who have to take the lead and do it. They're the ones that have yeah. to do it. And you have to do it by recalling school board members, getting rid of them. Look at what they did in Virginia, right? They put in Youngkin because he was there to protect children. They wanted their children protected. They didn't want the government to get between them and their children. Tell them, or the government tell them how to parent or the government be the parents. They're the parents. Yeah. Yeah. So we saw it happen. And we've seen major changes in a couple of years in Virginia because of it. And that's what has to happen. These parents need to start protecting their children. They need to go to the school board meetings and, 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 and yell and scream and, and put their fingers in their faces and, and fuck Merrick Garland. I don't give a fuck what he thinks about it. They have to go there and they need to, of course, we know Merrick Garland labels them domestic terrorists um, yeah. for, standing up, for standing up for their children because he's another sicko, another, another very weak-minded, sick man. But the parents have to be the ones who go to the schools and demand that these books be removed and that things change. They're the ones who are going to save the kids. Parents will save the children. You know, that's it. That's it. Forget, I understand what you're saying, but forget the, the big macro of deep state and this, that, and new world order. Just look at the micro. Protecting the children today. Protecting the children now. And the that way it is done is through the school boards, through the schools, through the principals, 
through the, the politicians who run things. They're the ones who have to be held responsible. And we need to call out scumbags like the hair gel king of California when he tries to make it look like a Republican governor is closed-minded because he doesn't want kindergartners to be exposed to fucking trans stuff or to drag shows. Drag queen story hour. It's incredible. Yes. Oh, you know, Vlad, how, how did you and I, how did we, Daniel, all of us listening, how did we get along without drag queen story hour? How did we get through our how did we get through our childhoods without drag queen story hour? I don't know how we made it, do you? <laughs> how, how did we make it, Vlad? How did we survive yeah, I know. without drag queen Damn, story hour? I, I missed drag queen story hour. It was way after my childhood. Mm. How could my parents miss out? How, how yeah. could my parents not 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 you, you know what my father would have done? My Mexican father from Mexico would have done? He was an ex boxer. Was he, yeah, was he an Xboxer? Yeah, really, he was an Xboxer. Yeah, he wasn't like professional in the sense that famous. He was a Golden Gloves in Mexico, but he knew how to kick ass. <laughs> he was an alpha male. He would have whooped them. He even would have gone to jail. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, I, like I said, that's what my grandparents would have done had my parents back in the sixties and seventies brought back this kind of a book and said, "Hey, look, look at what we're being taught." Vlad, it would have been. I, I don't want to. I, I can't get into detail what would have happened to the people at that yeah. school, to that principal, uh, to that uh, to that librarian or the teachers there. But now, you know what? We have too many people who are just disconnected, right? Who just this Correct. is the problem now, Vlad. We have so many people who are like, well, dear, um, if the school deems that, that to be okay, then nothing we can do about it. No, there's a lot you can do about it. Go there and kick fucking ass. Exactly. You know, the, 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 the submissive behavior of, well, you know, if the, my, people, yeah, if the people who are above us, above us, think it's okay, who are we to complain? Uh, Mike, you're originally from New York, right? Yeah, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I don't know if you heard in uh, within the Italian, especially uh, Irish community, there was a way that you dealt with those people in the hood. It never went to the cops. There's some reason why people got thrown off rooftops that were perverts. Yeah, of course. Okay, that's what I'm telling you. Yeah. Sometimes we got to go back to the old ways, my man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, yeah. you 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 live it to vigilante justice. I'll take care of it. Look, and believe me. Next thing you know, you'll say, "Well, what what happened to him?" It's like he fell out of the sky. Well, something like that. But he won't be doing that shit anymore. There, there. Don't worry about putting a a sign that says "sex offender." That's not going to happen. The guy's going to fly. He's not going to be able to land, but he's going to fly. Oh, did you see that video a couple of days ago of that guy who moved in next to – there was this guy who was on the sex offenders list. Uh-huh. And he moved in next to a, a, a family with like a six-year-old. And the father, the six-year-old went back because this guy was talking. This registered sex offender was talking to the six-year-old, <laughs> was uh-huh. talking to the six-year-old. Uh-huh. And, and the father went there and beat the crap out of him. Didn't kill him. Didn't put him in the hospital, but made it, made it clear. That you don't fucking – and you hear on the video, you don't fucking talk to my daughter. Now, here's the problem. Why was the sex offender allowed to move in next to a home with a six-year-old child? Exactly. Now, this to me is like people will say, well, Mike, you know, people deserve second chances. Yeah, of course. But the fact of the matter is it's like – it's almost like I, people don't understand that when you're, when you're a sex uh, pervert like that, 
it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a disease. It doesn't just go away. It's like alcoholism. Okay. Uh-huh. So think about that. Think of the sex offender as like an alcoholic. What do you do? Do you put an alcoholic in a bar? Do you make him work in a bar? Do you put uh-huh. the whole? An alcoholic usually can't even go out with friends who drink because they don't want to be near alcohol because it's tempting. So they stay away from the temptation. Well, that's the same thing with these sex offenders. When they're living next to a six-year-old, it's a temptation, just like the alcohol is a temptation to the alcoholic. So the sex offender should not be allowed to be in the vicinity of a fucking six-year-old. That's the problem. But our politicians allow it because the liberals are, oh, no, you need a second chance. Yeah, a second time. A se- yeah, another, let, him, let, him, let him sexually molest another child. You see, that's the problem. There should be laws that don't allow these people to move next to children, to be within a certain a distance of a child. And certainly, there's no reason why, just like an alcoholic wouldn't, if they don't want to continue to be an alcoholic, they wouldn't go near a beer. They wouldn't put themselves near a beer. This guy, if he really, truly wanted to be cured, would not be going up to a six-year-old and talking to her. So... This is just a problem. But one thing, we had a father who did the right thing, who did the right thing. Because you know what happens if he calls the police? What are the police going to say, Vlad? Well, was he doing anything? No, he was talking to her. Well, there's nothing we can do, sir. There's nothing we can do until he rapes her, right? And that's the problem. That's the problem. But the police can't do anything. The law says they can't. So the laws have to change. The laws have to change. Exactly. Mark, like you said earlier, more states have to take the road of, uh, like, the state of Florida with governor. People need to elect other, more, for each state, of a type of governor dissented, like what they did, uh, the governor in Tennessee. I'm serious. The, the, the people, we the people need to take the nation back from these perverts. But at the same time, we got to make sure that they never come into power and their party is put down for good. You know? That's it. Right now, it's a, this Democratic Party is a liberalism right now. And I, don't, I know people will say, oh, no, Mike, it's all, I don't care about 20 years ago. I don't care about 10 years ago. I don't care about five years ago. Yeah. The Democratic Party now and liberalism now is a mental disorder. It's a disease. It's, it's, a, it's a cancer. It's all of that stuff. And, like, the, and, and like, like I'll mention this every day if I have to. Like Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, it's the difference between normal and crazy now. It's the difference between normal and and crazy. It's that simple. It's that black and white. There are too many crazies. There are too many crazies on the left now. They, there are. And they keep on proving this every day with shit like this, with the book. They can't be allowed to run things anymore. They can't be allowed to run anything. They can't be allowed to run a PTA meeting, let alone an entire school or a, or a state or a city or a country. But, but not only that, Mike, they, they should be placed on a sex offender list themselves for life. We, they, you know, it doesn't matter what state they move in. They should be labeled. People should know their background, what they're, you know, what they're all about. You know. And we've gone the opposite of that, Vlad. We have we're in a society now that uphold the, the, that believe half of the I don't know if it's half of the country who believes. I don't think half of the country believes that this book should be accessible by an eleven year old. I can't. Please don't tell me. That half of the I know half of the country is Democrat or liberal, but don't tell me that half of the country believes that an 11 year old should have access to this kind of a book. I don't I don't believe it. I believe it's a very fringe but very loud minority. Okay, but unfortunately, that fringe loud minority runs a lot of things. 
They're in positions of like principals of schools and school board and principal and teacher and law and mayor and governor. Okay, that's the problem. That is the problem. As I said on Monday with John, there was a time when these people were in the woodwork. Okay, when they were so fringe, we didn't have to deal with their craziness. It didn't affect us. Now it's starting to affect us. Now it's starting to invade our space. And that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. What? Anyway, Mike, I love talking to you, man. Right. I'll let Thanks you be for your call, as always. Same here, brother. All right. So, yes, that's the problem. These people have now become prominent. They are now in positions of power over us and our children. That's the problem now. We've, we, but we're part of the problem. We've allowed it to happen because, as I said, we've never said no to these people. We've let them have everything. They say they want this. They say they want e- – people say they want equal rights. They don't. They want special rights. They want special rights. The LGBTQ community wants the right to put this kind of a book into a public li- – into a library in a middle school because we've allowed them to do things we never should have allowed them to do. Because we said, yeah, you can have that. Yeah, you can have that. Yeah, you can have that. And they got emboldened and emboldened and puffy, puffed up their chest and their heads and arrogant. And they have want now they want everything. So at some point, even if you think you should say yes, we have to start saying no. Because we can't give these people any more. We can't give them any more. Okay. We never would have been allowed to put a novel like this, even named Jack and Jill. Even named Jack and Jill in a public school. But when they have John and Charlie, that's fine for them to put in a public school. Because they want special rights, not equal. They don't, forget, none of these groups want special rights, equal rights. Because equal rights is you just take your rights and shut up. They don't shut up. They want this day and this month, this history month, this day, this march, this rally. Why? Why? If you want to be equal, it means you're equal and boring like everyone else. You don't stand out. You don't have days and months for you if you want to be equal. That, when you have a day or a month, that makes you special. When you have a day or a month that another group doesn't have, that makes you special. So just admit it. You want special rights. Say it. You want special rights. Not equal rights. Equal rights is too boring for these people. They don't want equal rights. That means we all do the same thing. We all have the same rights. And we don't, we don't have any special days. We don't have any special months. We don't have any parades. We don't have any film festivals. We don't have anything. Hello. Welcome to my room. Welcome to my room of anger. No, it's, well, uh, there's a reason to be angry. I mean, this is just sick stuff. This is just sick, sick stuff. By the way, I like to call this a show, not a room. But that's just me, because I'm, you know, I'm on, a, I'm on a perch. I'm on a perch. Anyway. Oh. So, Daniel, who's a, a, uh, a very, very loyal listener, he's in this room now and caller, posted something today. And... Um, I like to give like credit for people who post things. Actually, it was posted by Laura Powell. Laura, pa- Laura, uh, Laura Powell. Is that the one you're in love with, Daniel? Is that, the, is that the woman you're in love with, Laura Powell? I think it is. Yes, she posted this, and then Daniel had. I like it, this is the thing I found. Like I'll post something, and you know I have seven thousand followers, and then someone with like ten million followers will post it and not say they got it from me. I think that's bullshit. I always like to 
retweet the original one from the person or give them credit. But that's just me. Um, as I, you know, I, I was complaining all week. In fact, it was yesterday or the day before I had mentioned that I just simply went to my doctor. I have one medical, which is now owned by Amazon. And um, so maybe I can appeal to Jeff Bezos now. But I, all I did was go there to drop off lab work, L- literally just to drop it off, like 10, walked in the door, here's my lab work and left. But you have to go with a fucking mask on. Not only you have to go with a mask, it now says just a regular cloth mask isn't good enough. Now you got to have a, a surgical mask or a, a mask with, you know, the, uh, the, the what do you call it, the uh, N90, K, 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 K85, N95 bullshit masks with respirators. And so, of course, this nonsense. And this is after Gavin Newsom ended his three-year state of emergency. This is the day after. So I figured, oh, maybe it's the day after Gavin Newsom ended his 1,050-day state of emergency, uh, 15 days to flatten the curve. Maybe I'll be able to go, no, still got to wear a mask, and it's got to be a special mask. So for the, for the 35 and a half seconds I was in there, I had to wear a mask like a fucking moron, like a retard, playing the stupid performative medieval voodoo magic art uh, fucking science they want to play. And I got to play along like I'm a fucking mook. Um, Otherwise, I don't get medical care and I get cancer and die. That, that's the, the liberals are very loving that way. Liberals are very loving that way. But today, as Laura Powell posts, reposted by uh, Daniel, um, California Public Health, <laughs> that's a fucking funny name, rescinds the mask mandate for healthcare and high risk settings. But not yet. No, no, they need to do one more month. We need one more month. We need another month of it yet. So April 3rd, a month from today, April 3rd. Uh, three years. I think it's about three years after the first mass mandates were uh, introduced. Three years later. So 1,050 days of 15 days to flatten the curve. They will finally rescind the mask mandate in, in they call high risk in healthcare settings. Uh, but I don't understand. What's a high risk setting? I thought if everyone's vaccinated, why is it a high risk? Does that, the vaccination rate in San Francisco is like 117%. So I don't understand what's what's high. California's vaccination rate literally is probably 85, 90 percent, maybe more. So where's high risk? Who's high risk? Where is there an unvaccinated zone? Which, of course, we know is not high risk because the vaccine doesn't prevent anything. And people with the vaccine have gotten COVID 175 times. Um, So I don't know what that means, high risk settings. To them, it means to their their fucked up head, it means something. But anyway, beginning April 3rd, masks will no longer be required in indoor high risk and healthcare settings. This includes healthcare, long-term care, and correctional facilities, as well as homeless, emergency, and warming and cooling centers. The change takes effect on Monday, April third. You're wondering why? Why do you need? Why do you need a month for? What do we need a month for? Well, they need to allow local health departments and individual healthcare facilities to develop and implement plans customized to their needs and local conditions to continue to protect Californians through the end of the winter virus season. So does that mean that come the next winter virus season, they can bring this back? Is that what they're saying? CDPH's recommendations for the use of face masks for individuals remain unchanged. And they're also ending after, after what, how many years? Two and a half years, the vaccine requirements for healthcare workers. Beginning April 3rd, with federal rules continuing to ensure that most healthcare workers remain vaccinated for COVID-19. The state will no longer require vaccination for healthcare workers, including those in adult care. So they're no longer finally, after two and a half years, going to require vaccines, which don't stop the spread. In fact, the more you get the vaccine, the more you get COVID. This is just fact. 100% fact. 
Um, so once again, this is like this is like this could have been written in like 1830 by doctors. This could be written by the same people who believe raining, dancing helps it rain. Doing a rain dance helps it rain or, or jumping into put, throwing the virgin into a volcano makes it stop. It's the same fucking thing. There's no difference. But this is being written in California in the year 2023 by California Health. So I ask you, why are people excited about this, that this is ending? I, I don't understand this. Simply, I want to I I put this straight as possible. Three years, people. Three years of 15 days to flatten the curve. Why are we praising those who kidnapped us? Just because they've given us a reprieve that, by the way, they allude to the fact they can rescind that any time they please, right? Because we got to get through the flu. We got to get through the winter COVID flu season. We got to get through the winter cold season. Maybe next winter cold season they'll bring it back. This is called Stockholm syndrome, where your captors give you a little bit of freedom, and you think they're glorious, and you praise them for it, and you feel you you owe them something for it. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. The government has used, the deep state government has used Stockholm Syndrome for the past three years. They've done it several times. We need to fight to make sure they can't do this to us again. That's what we need. We need to fight to make sure they can't do this shit to us anymore. And remember, masks were gone in Florida a year and a half ago, two years ago, Texas, Arizona, Georgia, same thing, except for maybe Atlanta, Tennessee, Utah, Idaho, Nebraska. I was in Nebraska a year and a half ago. No one was wearing masks. But the people in this state are so stupid. They're so provincial. They think they're open-minded. They got money. They're liberal elites. They think they're so open-minded and worldly. But you see, the government has made them afraid to travel for the last three years. So they haven't gone to Tennessee. And they wouldn't, right? Oh, we're not going to go to Tennessee. It's red. Oh, no. Oh, no. We can't go to a place where they make it illegal for, for uh, transgender people to teach their sickness to kids or transvestites to wiggle their asses in kindergarten. We can't go to a place like that. We can't go. How could we go to a place that doesn't allow eight-year-olds to attend strip clubs and nine-year-olds to go to drag shows? Oh, so close-minded. We're not going to spend our money there. Well, Florida? Oh, Florida has great weather, but DeSantis, DeSantis. So they're so fucking close-minded. Yeah, I might be back. Did I scare you away? Did I scare carnal nature? Carnal nature. I like that name. Was that a movie? No, it's carnal knowledge. Um, I just lost my my. I, as as Pete Buttigieg said, I lost my train of thought. I went off the tracks. My train. My thoughts derailed. What a fucking idiot. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Oh, Florida. They're so close-minded. They simply believe what MSNBC tells them about Tennessee and Florida. They believe what Newsom tells them about Tennessee and Florida, So, which is smart by them because they don't want them going. See, they don't want them going to these places and saying, wait a minute, this isn't what I've been told. 
What, they go to Nashville or Tampa? Oh, wait, this isn't what I've been told by Gavin Newsom and Rachel Maddow. But they haven't gone to these places because they're closed-minded bigots. Once again, the left wing of the most closed-minded, racial, racist bigots in the world. So they haven't gone to these places like I have over the last three years. And they don't know what it's really like. They don't know that it really is nice, that it really is freedom, that people really are free. And not everyone has fucking passed away from a cold, you fucking idiots. You ignorant fools. So they haven't traveled. So they have not traveled. So they don't know that people in, in, in Nebraska haven't been wearing masks for a year and a half. They don't know that. They don't know that Florida, kids in Florida have been going to school in person without masks for the last two fucking years. They don't know it. So they can continue to do this shit here. And believe me, there's such dumb, ignorant lemmings here that people will indeed be just so joyous that they've given them this reprieve 1,070 days into 15 days to flatten the curve. And if they bring this back next October, these morons here will gladly put their masks back on. My hand to God, they will. What you have to understand is the people here are so brainwashed. They're such brainwashed, ignorant lemmings that they will do exactly what the government says because they believe it's the right thing. They believe their government is good and just and glorious and godlike and believes they're just doing this to protect them and keep them alive and healthy and well and prosperous. This is what they believe. So many people who own restaurants here, many people who own gyms here, many people who run healthcare facilities here will gladly do this because they believe in it, they love it, they think it's good and just and right. They're not doing it because they're forced to do it. A few of them are. I've talked to them. But the majority of them are doing it because they believe in it. They believe it works and they believe their government is joyous and wants the best for them. This is what they believe, folks. They believe it. So they'll go right back to doing all this stuff again. They'll go right back to it. And the rest of us have to punch faces, figuratively, of course, so far. Because we're fighting against the, the we're fighting against incredible ignorance. Incredible ignorance. This moron on, on Twitter uh, writes uh, that Japan proves that masks work. What are, you ta- what are they talking about, these people? Derek Thompson. Who's Derek fucking Thompson? Japan proves that masks worked. Seriously? At least Vinay Prasad responds by saying this tweet captures the absolute lack of understanding of how we assess medical evidence that defined the pandemic. 
Uh, first of all, I don't know what they're talking about. I have to, you know, I have to have on the show again. And I will do this. Maybe he's too big now. I don't know. I think he's a nice guy. But I had him on my original show on Spotify, which was, of course, a, a recorded podcast that wasn't live and he couldn't take calls. I'm going to have I'm going to have Ian Miller on again soon. In fact, I'll contact him this weekend. Ian Miller. And if you know Ian Miller on Twitter, direct message him and tell him to come on my podcast. You want to talk? You want to ask questions? Ian Miller wrote the book Unmasked. And he was on this from day one. Really, Ian Miller was on this from like April. I think I started following Ian in the spring or summer of 2020. And he was on this and he compiled all this data for about 18 months of masks that were used and mandated in some places, not mandated in others, between cities, between counties, between states, between countries. And he wrote a whole book showing with charts, hundreds of pages of charts, proving that masks did nothing. In fact, in many places with the mask mandates, they had higher cases and more cases of COVID. He documented it all. I'll have him on the show, but you can buy his, his book called Unmasked on Amazon. Great book. Easy reading. And all the proof is right there. But, and he has, he has shown many graphs of Japan over the last several months, showing all their surges. They had a recent surge. Japan had several huge surges. So what is this guy talking about, how masks work? And wait a minute, wait a minute. You know where they wear masks more than Japan? China. In China, they've never not worn masks. Didn't the virus start there? Last I heard, the virus began there. So how did the virus begin? In other words, if masks protected you from this virus, wouldn't the virus, as it entered, as it exited the Wuhan lab, have, have dissipated? Wouldn't all the Chinese, in other words, maybe that's what China believed. Maybe that's what it is, as I think out loud. Maybe the government of China released this virus thinking, well, we wear masks. So we won't get, in other words, we're, we're, we're mask wearers. So we won't get sick, but the rest of the world will because they don't wear masks anywhere in the West. Maybe that's what China, maybe that's it. Maybe that's why China released it. They figured their masks were going to be the magical protection for them. So China would not get sick, but the rest of the world would. But it didn't work out that way, you see. The Chinese got very sick, and they've had wave after wave, and they've had about 85 million lockdowns. Every other month, they had a fucking lockdown. So what did their masks do for them? How ignorant are people? This really shows when you're stuck into your fucking narrative, you can't get out of it. These people cannot get out of their narrative. It doesn't matter how much proof is shoved down their throats. They don't want to stop their narrative. They don't want it broken. They have to continue it. It's like pointing up to the sky to people and saying, that, look at those beautiful blue skies. And they say, no, skies, the sky is green. It always has been. What are you talking about? The sky is blue. Look at it. That's green. Shut up. It's, I say it's green. It's always been green. It's always going to be green. You, you, you want to strangle them to death. They will never admit the truth. They will never admit the truth. And you can only assume that it's either this cult narrative or they're just insane people. Maybe a little bit of both. They're cultish and they're crazy. I need the temperament of like a uh, I need the temperament of like a doctor in an insane asylum. You know, see doctors in insane asylums, they're very calm. They just go, oh yes, yeah, absolutely. Here's your medication. I wish we could do that, right? Yes. Oh yes, masks work. Absolutely. Here, here's your medication. Yeah. Oh, vaccines? Oh, the absolutely. You get the vaccine, you can never get COVID. Here's your medication. I wish I wish I had the temperament to I wish we could do that. Just give these people medication. Yes, I just, just, just placate them. 
like doctors in a crazy house do. Of course, yes, 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 yes. You're right, 100%, yes. Oh, yes, just stay inside and don't go out for a year. The virus will go away. Absolutely, here's your medication. Medicate everybody, medicate them all. There's so much that's happening. I don't even know where to go to next. How about AOC? Oh, how about this? This is kind of a light Friday. This is kind of a light, nearly midnight Pacific time, 3 a.m. Eastern time Friday story. Kellyanne Conway and George Conway are getting divorced. You know, Kellyanne and George Conway, you know, she's the Trump uh, supporter and he's the Democrat. And they had all these arguments during the Trump days. And so she's the right and he's to the left. And they're getting divorced after 22 years. How did they last for 22 years? It's kind of sad, though. It really is kind of sad. I got used to them. They're sorting out the details of a divorce following 22 years of marriage. They got married in 2001, and they share four children together. They've notably expressed contrasting political views. Yeah, that's an understatement. In recent years, in a marriage that vanity fares bad, Levin called one of the greatest mysteries of the 21st century. Uh, George Conway's criticism of Trump led to a tweet from the former president who referred to him as a husband from hell. So this is Kelly Conway working for president by Bush Trump, and he calls her husband a husband from hell. Then they also had some trouble with their daughter. You remember that? Where their daughter was tweeting this crazy stuff, how horrible her parents were, and they had to, they had to both, like, take breaks in their jobs. Um. Trump called him a wacko husband. Yeah. So anyway, I don't got to go through the whole story, but Kellyanne Conway and George Conway are soon to be no more. Well, who's the other couple? Oh, oh, Mary Madeline, right? Uh, and James Carville, right? They were also another weird right-left couple. You know, it proves it can happen. I know some people out there think that's not possible, but look. Well, look, what I'm doing. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, obviously. But it worked for 22 years. That's a long time. 20 years is a good run. I think it's a better run than most people have these days. I think that's the good, a better run than most people who agree on politics have these days. So that's a uh, stick around because I'm in a fighting mood. I'm in a fighting mood, and I'm going to review Creed three in a little while. Creed three. You know, the guy, this is so funny. The guy I worked for, his name was Bob Grant. He's the guy I worked for when I was at ABC from 1991 to 1996, WBC Radio in New York. And I worked for Bob Grant. He was the afternoon drive host. And he would he would begin his show. His his music theme was the Rocky theme. So it'd be, and then he'd come on and do his thing. And that was his theme. Saying because I'm going to review Creed three, which is basically like Rocky, twelve, something like that. How many Rockies were there? Six, seven, and there were three. Yes, I think it's almost ten, nine or ten. Um, but I, I will I will review Creed three shortly. Um, you know, I I often complain about San Francisco, and I'm going to complain about it some more. I'm going to start with something that's a little bit lighter and go into something that's much 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 darker. Um, the Bay Bridge here, which connects – for those of you not in the Bay Area, the Bay Bridge does not – oh, it does. What am I talking about? Does, <laughs> the, Golden Gate, the Golden Gate Bridge is the one people get wrong. The Golden Gate Bridge 
people think the Golden Gate Bridge connects San Francisco and Oakland. It doesn't. The Golden Gate Bridge, because that's the, the iconic bridge, that connects San Francisco and Marin County, San Francisco and Sausalito. The Bay Bridge connects San Francisco and Oakland. So the Bay Bridge, for the last, I don't know how long it's been, two years now, maybe more, have had these lights, this light installment. It was, it was, it was like a political installment, a political, artistic installment at the beginning on the, on, the, on the bridge. So the whole bridge lights up at night, and the lights go up and down, and it's very pretty. And uh, but they got some kind of a grant money to keep them going because, you know, it's expensive and the electric bill. And uh, now that grant is ended and they haven't been able to raise money to keep them on. So on Sunday, the bridge will go dark. Now, the organization that installed it and maintained their aping, uh, they want to raise 11 million dollars. So if they raise 11 million dollars, they'll bring them back in September. My hope is that. The lights never come back on. And you're saying, Mo, bah humbug, Mike, what's wrong with you? It's beautiful. It's pretty. Well, that's the big. First of all, there are things that $11 million can go towards in this city that are more important than fucking lights on a bridge. OK, more important than a than artistic installment on a bridge. This is the thing you do when you're This is the thing you do when your city is, in, is the best city in the world. Right. When your city is in perfect shape, you have no problems. You don't have homelessness. You don't have drug addiction. You don't have fentanyl killing kids. You don't have people pissing and shitting on the streets. That's this is not this is the thing you do when you don't have those things. OK. Maybe this. You don't do this in San Francisco. You don't do it in San Francisco. There are other things you can spend money on. And San Francisco and Oakland are both shitholes. And this 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 bridge connects the two shitholes and they want to spend 11 million dollars on this. Secondly, this is something the politicians in the Bay Area have gotten off on for a long time, which is that, oh, it's so pretty. We live in such a, a pretty place. Look how pretty it is when you when you do it from like a drone at 30,000 feet. It looks so gorgeous, doesn't it? With the hills and the water. Oh, and the hilly streets and, and the what do you call that street? The, the street where you drive down and it's curving. Oh, isn't that beautiful? And this is where Psycho was filmed. And look how beautiful it is. So they get off on their outer superficial beauty. And they hope that can mask the shit, the dirt, the dung, the crime, the grease that is the actual city. And they've gotten away with this way too long. When you talk to people who aren't from here and you say, oh, God, the, people always ask you, you know, asking how do you like living somewhere is almost like asking someone how you're doing. No one wants to hear you say I'm not doing well. Right. If you say I'm not doing well, they don't even hear you. I would guess most people, if they ask you how you're doing, and you say not do uh, not too good. They probably don't even hear that. They probably hear you say I'm fine. They don't want to hear you complain. And it's the same thing. People ask me, Mike, well, how do you live living in San Francisco? People don't listen to the show. If you listen to the show, you know how I feel. If you don't listen to the show, you'll ask me. How how do you like living in San Francisco? And I'll say, oh, it's fucking the worst. Ever. And if they hear that, they'll say, why? It looks so beautiful. I've seen photos. Oh, I've seen movies. It look, how about the streets of San Francisco with Carl Malden and Michael? This is what the politicians here have have lived on, have existed on for decades now. The outer beauty, the beauty from up above. And they shouldn't be able to do that anymore. People should. San Francisco is a shithole. Don't pardon my language. That's what it is. People need to start seeing it for what it is. Because until you hit rock bottom, until everyone knows what the, what the deal is, things will not change. That's the politicians here count on. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, oh. Have you flown above it? Yeah. I've also walked through it for the last decade. So my hope is the Bay Bridge stays dark forever. Dark forever.
a bigger problem in San Francisco than the Bay Bridge lights is the problem of fentanyl. And we've talked about this. I've had on Jackie Berlin, uh, Mothers Against Drug Addiction and Death. I've had on John Dennis on Monday, this past Monday, the chairman of the, of the San Francisco Republican Party. I've had people on talking about this. I'll have more people on talking about this, the fentanyl issue, because God knows our leaders don't want to talk about it because it all goes back to immigration and the border and China, and they don't want to deal with that reality. So a couple of days ago, left-wing politicians, which is basically all we have here, left-wing progressive politicians gathered at City Hall here in San Francisco. And I'm going to pull this up. They gathered at City Hall here, and they wanted to make a point about fentanyl. And this is what they say. Oh, this is they, they wanted to make a point that we cannot end our sanctuary city status here because ending the sanctuary city status means deporting fentanyl drug dealers. They don't want that. And the reason why they don't want that is because it's racist. You see, it's racist. Fentanyl's, no, fentanyl is uh, just killing. It's just killing white people, they believe. Right. Fentanyl just kills whites. If, if a black person takes it, they survive. If a brown person takes it, they survive. If an Asian person takes it, eh, maybe half the time they survive. This is what these people fucking believe. It's a racist issue. San Francisco City, uh, San Francisco County Supervisor Shaman Walton told San Franciscans this week the U.S. shouldn't deport illegal immigrant drug dealers for selling fentanyl, the deadly synthetic opioid that was largely responsible for nearly 2,000 drug overdose deaths in the city since 2020. There's been a drug issue in this country for a very long time. But there's no way we're going to stand by and allow people to say that one race or immigrants are responsible for those fentanyl deaths, Walton said at a rally on the steps of City Hall on February 28th. Walton defended the city's sanctuary policies that prohibit city authorities from assisting U.S. immigration of ICE in response to a proposal by Supervisor Matt Dorsey to aid fentanyl crimes to a list of violent crimes the city uses for cooperating with ICE. So Dorsey has done a good thing. Dorsey's proposal aligns with a recent push for a crackdown on fentanyl dealers initiated by District Attorney Brooke Jenkins. You cannot violate sanctuary policy for any reason. It goes against the morals of our fabric here in San Francisco. And it also allows people who don't share our values to persecute people that need us at the most. People are going crazy over fentanyl because we're starting to see more white people die from this drug. Where the hell were these people when my mothers and my grandmothers were on crack? So you see, everything's about race because Democrats are racist. Progressives are the most racist people in the world. Everything is about race to them. How abhorrent is it to say that because white people are dying, people care about it? It's the only white people are killed by fentanyl. This guy is so full of shit. Conservatives wanted – I've always been for the war on drugs. It's the liberals who are the ones who say, oh, no, let it go. We should legalize. Who is he kidding? It's liberals who want to legalize crack and meth, not conservatives. J.J. Smith lives in the city's infamous Tenderloin District, a hot spot for drug use, and he lost his brother to a fentanyl overdose back in October. He told the Epoch Times on March 2nd that Walton's remark came as a shock and didn't sit well with a lot of people, even the black community. Smith said it's no secret that drug dealers with connections to Honduras largely control the illicit fentanyl trade in the Tenderloin, which is not directly affecting Walton's district. 
Honduran dealers are the only people in San Francisco that have larger quantities of fentanyl, he claimed. We should care because it's killing everybody, not just white people. And even if it only does kill white people, who's to say that's fair? Smith questioned the logic behind lesser punishments for fentanyl dealers when crack dealers in the 80s and 90s, including African-Americans, were handed long prison sentences for their crimes. And this guy should be totally for the people who deal fentanyl to get the same kind of prison sentences as his brothers and sisters got in the 80s. No? Wouldn't you think so if he had some uncommon sense, this jerk? But now Walton is speaking about a deadly drug that's killing more people than any drug that's ever been on the market before, he said. Jackie Berlin, here you go. Co-founder of Mothers Against Drug Addiction and Deaths told the Epic Times she was offended by Walton's comments. Berlin said she was a child during the crack cocaine epidemic of the 80s, but she's now fighting for her son, Corey, who's addicted to fentanyl and for all citizens of all races affected by the poison flooding our cities. We have members fighting with, with us who are black, she told the Epic Times. Fentanyl is killing U.S. citizens of all races, disproportionately persons of color. It's also poisoning U.S. children that had no idea where they were getting, what they were getting. There's never been a drug market so deadly as the one we're experiencing now. San Francisco was among the first 12 U.S. cities to declare itself a sanctuary city. Oh, that virtue signaling. Oh, don't you feel the love? Prohibiting local police from stopping or arresting people based on their immigration status. So you can't arrest people who break the law. This is what liberals believe. You should not arrest people who are law-abiding store owners small business owners for spraying a homeless person for 10 seconds with water. But if someone brings in fentanyl that kills somebody or rapes somebody, let them go. If they steal a thousand dollars worth of drugs from a, from a Walmart, if they're drugstore cowboys, let them go. This is the liberal mindset. Walton was speaking at a noon rally in support of supervisor Hillary Ronan's proposed resolution denouncing criticism of sanctuary city policies. Supervisors Myrna Melgar and Dean Preston, another moron, also attended the rally. After nearly two hours of public comments, the board voted unanimously to continue debate at the issue on March 7th. Oh, aren't they great? San Francisco's public defender, Manu Raju, said that the rally that city police unfairly target black and brown dealers and that the war on drugs was designed to target black and brown people for arrest and incarceration while white dealers are rarely arrested. Who the fuck is he kidding? It's actually quite the opposite when you look at crime here. The opposite. We also know that Latinx community members who are targeted are young and often survivors of labor, trafficking, and exploitation. Using a local resource to funnel these individuals to ICE detention facilities will subject them to horrific conditions that can lead to a death sentence for deportation. Can we get more dramatic? Where's the dramatic music? I should come up with some. He said, and all this cruelty is getting to do nothing to stem the overdoses. Dorsey did not respond to questions for comment. So once again, this is the sick place I live in, folks. Do you have any sympathy for me? I want to hear some sympathy. I need some sympathy. Let me see. You're not going to give me the sympathy. But this is what I'm talking about. This is this is the nuttiness that we have to deal with here. With the with the politicians who truly believe they say it out loud that white lives don't matter or they're saying black lives don't matter. The only thing that matters is their virtue signaling. If you come to this country illegally, you are allowed in San Francisco. If you want to steal $1,000 worth of drugs, you're, you're welcome in San Francisco. If you want to bring in drugs that poison and kill the children of San Francisco, you are welcome in San Francisco. That's what they just said. Why should someone who breaks the laws be welcome here? Why should someone who breaks the laws be welcome anywhere? Whether it's immigration or whether it's drug dealing or whether it's robbery. Why? Pe 
these people are coming. Normal people are leaving San Francisco for places like Florida and Nashville, Tennessee and Texas. And criminals, drug dealers, illegal immigrants are coming here because they are welcome. Normal law abiding citizens are no longer welcome here. Drug dealers and criminals, rapists, robbers, looters, they are welcome here in San Francisco. That's what the sanctuary, it's a sanctuary city for criminals. It is not a sanctuary city for law-abiding citizens. That's the deal. And this is the case in most major cities run by Democrats. I just live in the worst. Or I perceive it as the worst. I guess you always believe where you live is the worst, but I really believe it's the worst. When you look at the numbers, the, the stats, the people who were in office here, you get, you know, for every one person with a brain here, you get 10 that have no brain. For every one person that's really wants to do good and make laws that work, they have 10 people who are just interested in virtue signaling and patting themselves in the back, talk about how virtuous they are. That's the problem here. That's the problem. You see, in, in, in New York, very, very liberal. You have Staten Island, right? New York State has Long Island, other conservative areas. San Francisco has nothing like that. We are total left-wing liberal progressive lunacy. And if you get one or two people on a board of supervisors with what, 11, 13, they have no power. They have no power. So that's the issue here. That's the problem. And these people, once again, it's not like they're whispering this stuff. It's like they, we can't have people hear this. It's so crazy. We, they go on the steps of City Hall and they get attention and the media, the media shows up and they don't even criticize it. The media doesn't even criticize it. They don't even look at it with a critical eye because they believe it too. Because the people in journalism here believe it because they're all left wing nut jobs. Because that's who is welcome here. If you're a left wing nut job, if I were a left-wing nut job, I'd love to live here. I wouldn't want to leave. I'm surrounded by other left-wing nut jobs. So you got the politicians who are left-wing nut jobs, the media, they're left-wing nut jobs, the people who live here are left-wing nut jobs. Because if you want to live here and you don't want to leave, you're a left-wing nut job. So that's what this city is. A city of left-wing nut jobs. And it's it's being driven into the ground. And and no amount of beautiful lights on a bridge will help it. No amount of drones at 20,000 feet showing how great the, the geography, the topography is going to help it. The only answer right now, and I know this sounds defeatist, but there are people who, who understood this over the last three years, is to, is to go away, is to leave. Let them have it. Let them have it. Let them have it. Does that mean I'm not going to complain anymore? Wrong. I'm going to still I'm going to complain every time they do something stupid like that. I'm going to complain about it, and I'm going to I'm going to point out what morons they are. I'm going to point out what idiots they are. I'm going to I'm going to point out what brainless virtue signaling lunatics they are, because that's that's what they are. If you want to call in, you're welcome. You're welcome to call in with anything that's on your mind. Anything that's on your mind, whatever it may be. 
It could be immigration. It could be it could be upcoming election next year. Uh, by the way, I, I have no doubt that Ron DeSantis is in. No doubt. I mean, he just put up an ad. He put up an ad called the Florida Blueprint, right? And he talks about the blueprint of Florida. Now, what does that mean? Blueprint for what? Blueprint for the rest of the country. So why is the governor of Florida promoting the Florida blueprint for the rest of the country? Who's going to apply that blueprint? Joe Biden? No. So obviously he's running. The Florida, it's called the Florida blueprint. That is obviously, look, I think DeSantis is doing it right. Is, 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 of course, I'm in the media. I have a podcast. I want him to announce today, of course. And I, and I love him and I want to be president. But I understand what he's doing. It's very methodical. He's written this book. Believe me, he hasn't written the book to make money. He's written the book because he's running for president. And he's going to say, here's the answers. Read this book. You want to vote for me? Read the book. This is how we did it in Florida. This is the Florida blueprint for the country. This is like the, what do you call it? The base, the stepping stones. He's laying the groundwork for his campaign. And Florida blueprint might even be a great slogan. So obviously he's going to run, and my prediction is May, June. May, June, he'll, he'll announce. He wants to do this legislative session first. And, you know, Florida, so many Republicans won back in November because of his coattails that he's going to be able to get all this legislation through. And it's going to be good legislation, and he's going to be able to say, look at this. Look what I was able to pass. And that's also going to be part of his, of his, of his campaign for, for president. There's only one obstacle, and you know who that obstacle is. It's getting, it, it's, it's getting the uh, – I complain a lot about Democrats and liberals, but I'll also complain. Once again, I've talked about Trump derangement syndrome of the right kind and the le- right not being your right, meaning right wing, and left kind, left wing, which is the left wingers cannot get him out of the – you know, he, li- he lives rent-free in their heads. They just they just – they hate him with a passion. And there's also the right who has this Trump derangement syndrome, thinking he's like the best president ever in the history of presidents, the best leader in the world. We have to have him again at 90 years old. doesn't matter. So it's they're both the Trump derangement syndrome of both the right and the left kind. And unfortunately, in the Republican primary, that's an issue, right? Can the Trump derangement syndrome of the right kind propel him again to a general election? I hope not. But obviously – He's a, you can't say he's not an obstacle. He's a huge obstacle. He's a huge obstacle. Um, but I don't think DeSantis is afraid of him. If you look at polls, I mean, they, they come up with these ridiculous, this like, first of all, the CPAC straw poll is ridiculous. Although that's, CPAC might as well be called Trump pack. It doesn't matter. It's just a small sliver of, of the Republican party. But if you look at some of these state polls, They'll say, oh, my God, look at the – they'll do it with nation. First of all, they, what they always do every, every, every election cycle for president, they do the same stupid crap. They do these national polls, which don't matter because the primaries are state by state and the general election is state by state. National doesn't matter. What does that matter? You can win the popular vote and still lose. doesn't matter. Only state by state polls matter. But every fucking election cycle, they do the same thing. They go, oh, the national poll shows Trump ahead by 15 points. So, so who cares? First of all, national polls are garbage. And secondly, Trump was the president of the United States. He has announced he's running like eight, eight years ago. He announced he's running again. DeSantis isn't even in the race yet. And yet he's second in the double digits. That's incredibly impressive. And if you look at state by state polling in California, 
The Democrats might be crazy in the state, but the Republicans aren't. He's winning among Republicans in the state for the primary. In Pennsylvania, he's winning among Republicans. In many states, he's winning. If you go state by state, he's winning in some very important states, and he's not even in it yet. So I'm very, what do you call that? What's the, what's the, what's the Wall Street term? The movie term is boffo. That means a lot of money at the box office, big, big box office. But what is it? Is it bullish or bearish? Bullish? Bullish, right? Is bullish? Bull, not bullshit. Bullish, bullish means you're big on it, right? It's good. Stock's going to do well, right? Well, I'm that, whatever that is on DeSantis. I think he's going to win. I think he's going to win. <clears throat> but long way to go. Long way to go. Think about it this way. If you're into sports... I know many of you are not, but if you're into sports, the presidential election, there still have to be two full baseball seasons with the World Series before the president. That's a long way away, a long way away, a long way to go. Jay Bhattacharya, the great doctor, everyone knows him. Jay Bhattacharya put up a poll on Twitter today. It's a tough one. What is worse? What is the what is worse for the reputation of scientists that there was a consensus in favor of disastrous, useless pandemic policies, or that a majority of scientists stayed silent to avoid excommunication by the mob? That's a tough question. What's worse, consensus for nonsense or scientists self-censored, censored, not scientists self-censored? That's a tough one. I actually put. Consensus for nonsense, but the majority say scientists self-censored. But that's a tough question. I can go back and forth with that one. Both were really destructive. Both were destructive and horrible. Oh, God, was there anything else before I go into the film review? I thought there might have been one other thing that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I, I guess... Ukraine situation. Those of us with some kind of uncommon sense from day one said there's no way Ukraine is going to win this thing. It's just not. It's not if, saying Ukraine was going to defeat Russia could be as dumb. I could put up a poll. What's dumber, saying Ukraine was going to defeat Russia or that mass stopped the spread of COVID? What would you think is dumber? Mass stopping the spread of masks, cloth masks or masks in general with holes that microscopic virus particulates could get into. Is that is it dumber to believe that's going to stop a virus or that Ukraine was going to defeat Russia? I don't know. I think they're both pretty dumb. But now we have the fall of Bakhmut, right? And as David Sachs, the owner, once again, I always like to tell people that David Sachs, the owner of call in said there's simply no way to reconcile the fall of Bakhmut with previous Western media coverage of the war, which portrayed Russia defeat as inevitable. There's no joy in pointing this out. The point is that the media, especially the neocon pundit wing, and that's both the right and left wing, by the way, is highly untrustworthy. So now we're seeing little by little Russia's winning, taking over. There's going to have to, Ukraine's going to be forced into a peace accord. We see the media now starting to admit this. We see the media saying that Zelensky's ridiculous pipe dream of, of invading Crimea and taking back Crimea is ridiculously unrealistic and dangerous. Not going to happen. So now we're seeing the worm turning. And just as we've been proven right on mass and locked, it's so hard. It's so exhausting being proven right over and over and over and over and over again. So we did all this crap 
with masks. We locked down. We destroyed businesses. We, you know we did for no good reason. It's the same thing for the money and depleting our money and depleting our resources, military resources, with 120, 130 billion and counting going to Ukraine. Just a disaster, pointless disaster. But it's led by Zelensky's sugar daddy, Joe Biden, the dementia, our, our demented president, our weak, demented, weak minded, limp president, who continues. As they did with COVID, everything that doesn't work because they're insane, they do it over and over and over. Everything doesn't work, right? Everything that doesn't work, let's do it over and over and over with the hope it will work the 85th time, the 130th time, the 16,000th time it will work because these people are crazy. That is the definition of insanity. Over and over and over, it doesn't work. We'll do it over and over and over. And then maybe pretend we didn't do it. Or say new information came in and we realized that we should have done it. But that's where we are, people. You know, it's just, it, it's incredibly difficult having common sense or uncommon sense, as we say on the show, incredibly difficult and not, and living in a world, in a country where so many people don't have that. So many people don't have that. All they have is their narrative. All they have is their narrative. And they are sticking to it until the day they die. They're sticking to it till the day they die. And that's that's problematic. Because it takes so many good people down with them. It takes so many of us good people down with them. Oh. Should I call in John Williams? What do you think? Is it time? Is it time to call in John Williams? Have we covered enough? Is there anything else? Is there anything else you want to... If I left anything out, I think I've covered a lot today. I think I've covered a lot. We covered Mr. Murder. Mr. Murder. <laughs> Mr. Murder. Oh, God. If, you, if your last name is Murder, don't commit murder. How about that as a new rule? If your last name is Murder, don't commit murder. That's a sad story, though. Isn't that a sad story? It really is. How, how, how much of a corner? Look, I have no sympathy for the guy, as I said at the beginning of the show. I watched the sentencing live, and he got what he deserved. But um, I don't – what kind of a corner do you have to think you're, like, pushed back into, like a rat, to do something like that, to kill your son and your wife, to, to get sympathy because you've stolen $9 million and you're going to go to – I, I don't – it's, it's, you have to really be in like this darkest of dark spaces to really think that that's a thing to do. I mean, it's it's incredibly sad. It's also sad for the, the Buster, the surviving son, right? His brother and mother were killed by his father, who's now in jail for life. He's got a couple of uncles, but it's it's a horrible, horrible situation for him. Someone said he collapsed after the uh, guilty verdict, which I, I'm sure happened. Um, oh, one other thing before I get to the John, John's standing by, by the way, John's right here with me. He's standing by, he's on standby, John. Um, so he'll, he'll be with us in a second. Um, but I did want to talk about as, as nutty as California is, it gets crazier every day. Like I said, it's sick out there and getting sicker. So 
you remember they had this high speed rail thing they wanted to do between LA and San Francisco? And they were talking, it's going to happen, baby. It's going to happen. LA, San Francisco, high speed rail, you know. And that current project is over $100 billion over budget and a decade behind schedule. And there's zero, listen to this, $100 billion over budget, a decade behind schedule, and there's no timeline for completion. Aren't Democrats competent? So you know what they think? Instead of, th- instead of like pulling it, scrapping it, or finishing it, they say, you know what we need? A second high-speed rail project at the same time called the Sin City Express from L.A. to Vegas. It's so close to reality. Look, this is how bad the media is here with their, their, their fake news. So ABC7 in, San Fran- in L.A. puts out a, 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 a spot that says Sin City Express, high-speed train from SoCal to Vegas, is closer to reality. Do you know how much fake news pieces they've put out? about how the L.A. to San Francisco, the same the same bullshit pieces about how that's close to reality. They must have done it 20 times how close it is to reality. But instead of telling people the truth, which is that the politicians here are incompetent, but they won't because they're Democrats and the liberals and the media don't want to do that. And they're 100 percent, 100 billion dollars over budget on the first project, a decade behind schedule. And there's no idea when they're completed. They promote this second train as though that's about to happen. It's all fake news. And these journalists are are, are worthless. They're worthless. They do no investigation. They do nothing. They do no checking of what the government says. They don't care. They just repeat it, and they all repeat it, and they all live. As Glenn Greenwald said, they live in the same echo chamber. They all repeat the same drivel over and over and over. All right, well. I think John can come in now. I think I think I've covered everything in the world. In ninety minutes, I've covered. There was a uh, a news station in New York called Ten Ten Wins, and what was their slogan? You give us twenty two minutes, something like that. Twenty two minutes, yeah. You give us twenty two minutes, we'll give you the world. And they did a jingle, and you give us twenty two. In twenty two minutes, they did all the stories. Then they did them again. So every twenty two minutes were the same stories over and over again. But you had to just listen for twenty, whatever it was. It might have been less than that. Was it ten minutes? Something like that. Anyway, so in 90 minutes, I covered not exactly 22 minutes, but not bad for one person. Uh, Okay, so we're going to call in John Williams because we are going to do our Friday film review. Come on in, John. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. John will stand by and he might play me out if he's a good guy. All right. So only one film this week. It's a big one, though. It's a big one. And I will play the trailer for you. It's only 30 seconds. I'll play the trailer for you. It's Creed 3. Creed 3. And of course, we know this is about Apollo Creed, son, who became a boxer in the first one. And this is the third installment. Um, And uh, I'll tell you all about it after I play this uh, if I can queue up the trailer here I will queue up the trailer for you okay here we go I'm just getting started little brother I'm coming for it all 
I saw it in IMAX, by the way. If you have an IMAX theater near you, you should you should see it. Um, this one is actually directed by Michael B. Jordan, who plays Adonis Creed. He plays the lead, and he also directed this one. This is directorial debut. I was nervous, like, oh my god, how's he going to do? Um, you know, think about boxing movies. We've seen so many of them, right? We've seen so many boxing movies that it's very very hard for boxing movies to avoid uh, your typical cliches right and that's like disaster number one for most boxing movies is avoiding those cliches that we've seen in so many boxing movies right the underdog fighting and oh yes and you know things in it and it's always going to come down to a climactic battle between the underdog and the you know david versus goliath or good guy versus bad guy and there's going to be a lot of bone crushing sounds and we've seen it all before What Michael B. Jordan does in this film is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I I loved this movie. And the reason why I loved it is because Michael B. Jordan turns out to be an absolutely fantastic director. Very artistic, incredibly artistic, and does a great thing, which is actual character development, which we don't see in many movies in general these days, but especially in boxing movies, and really avoids the cliches. I mean, you, yes, it's going to come down to a battle. It's going to come down to a battle, and we're probably going to take the side. Usually, we're going to take the side of Apollo or Rocky, right? We're going to take the side of the good guy. We're going to take the side of our of our hero. But what Michael B. Jordan does and his writers do in this is make it a much more complex story. It's not so easy. It's not like the, the, the horrible Rocky with Drago, you know, where it's America versus Russia and black and white and good versus bad. Michael B. Jordan isn't interested in those cliches, in, in that good versus good versus evil cliche, which we get so much so often in movies like this, and so it opens up with Michael B. Jordan and the young uh, as a young. It's not Michael B. Jordan. It's the young. It's a younger version of Adonis as a, as a kid, like a thirteen year old, and uh, a friend of his, who he spent a couple of years in a uh, children's home with, and they became friends. His name is Damian Anderson. And his friend, Damien, is this golden gloves boxer. And, the, you know, we actually see a scene early on where Adonis sneaks out at night and goes to the golden glove tournament with with uh, Damien. They're very tight. They're friends. And Damien wins and gives uh, Adonis some of the money. And then something happens. Something tragic happens. And we fast forward like 15, 18 years later. And what happens is his friend Damien, something happens. I won't say, well, I won't give it away. But something tragic happens. Damien goes to jail while Adonis escapes. And of course, in that 18-year period, Adonis becomes this great boxer, multi-millionaire. You know, he becomes the next Rocky. He becomes the next Mike Tyson. Becomes a multi-millionaire, beautiful home overlooking the L.A. Hills, uh, with his with his wife, uh, played by Tessa Thompson. And uh, 18 years later, we see that Damien comes back. He serves his 18 years in jail. As the film goes along, it's revealed in a very clever way, in a very moving way, what happened. What, what happened that sent Damien to jail? And Damien comes back, rightfully so, with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he was going to be the new up-and-coming boxer. He goes to jail, and the little boy becomes this great boxer. 
And now Damien, who's several years older than Adonis, wants a shot. He wants to become a box. He stayed in great shape. And he's played by Jonathan Majors, who is now my new favorite actor. Jonathan Majors, every time I see him in a movie, it's like De Niro in the old days, where it's like, is that the same guy? He changes physically. Uh, uh, He was just in the movie, the Ant-Man movie, who I I love because of him. I like the movie because of him, because he was such a great villain three-dimensional villain he brings a shakespearean background and he's a fantastic actor and here he plays damien and he's i didn't notice him because his neck is bigger his head's bigger he gained all this muscle he's ripped he's diesel so i didn't even notice the same actor and uh here he plays damien and so there's a rift between the two damien wants to be going to boxing he wants a title shot and adonis is like look man this is not that easy you can't get a i, I love you i, I but I, you, I can't give you a title shot. So there's a little bit, there's a lot of rift there, a lot of drama between the two of them going back to what happened 18 years ago. And as the film plays on, this is the battle that occurs, is that Damien does some un, uh, things he shouldn't do in order to get a title shot. Um, and he sort of plays Adonis and becomes heavyweight champion and has a big head. And there's a big rift between the two. And, of course, they end up fighting. They end up having to fight to settle this rift. But what's so great about the film, not only is it artistically shot, not only does does Michael B. Jordan film the boxing scenes in ways we've never seen before, a little bit of the Matrix mixed in, a lot of slow motion stuff where you see the punches landing. You see the the punches land and you see the skin moving, the skin folds moving and the the sweat and the – coming off the faces. They must have used hundreds of water bottles for this movie. But it's so well done, so artistically done. And the characters are developed to the point where you actually care, and it doesn't come down to a battle between good and evil. There is such a complex dynamic between these two. We understand Damien's chip on his shoulder. We understand why he has a chip on his shoulder, and we know, and Adonis knows, he has every right to have that chip on his shoulder, although he shouldn't be such an asshole about it, basically, is what it comes down to. So you might even find yourself not rooting for either person during the climactic fight, which is very rare for a movie, a Rocky slash Creed movie. And the ending, as you know, the end of Rocky movies and movies like this, usually when the guy we're cheering for wins, like Rocky, and the music plays, the and oh, Adrian, I did it. That's not the way this ends. It has a very uh, melancholy ending to it because we know there really is no winner or loser here. There's the dynamic that these two guys had, a childhood friendship they had that was shattered, and now it comes down to this climactic scene. I'm telling you, this is a really good movie. I mean, I, I'm, I was shocked how much I like this movie, how much – they invest time into building these characters, avoiding cliches. For a debut, directorial debut, Michael B. Jordan does a fantastic job. You would think he directed 100 movies before. Stylish, intense, builds drama perfectly. I love this movie. I love Creed. The more I think about it, the more I like it. Creed 3. Go see it. Go to the movies. Get out there. Go to the IMAX screen. See it on the big screen. It's important. I wholeheartedly recommend Creed 3. And, and of course, fantastic performances by the three leads there, Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, and, of course, the great Jonathan Majors. Uh, uh, where is he? Can you come in? John, can you come play me back in? Play, play me out. Play me out, John. Thank you.
Thank you. John Williams and the Boston Pops. Hooray for Hollywood. Okay. All right. That's the show. That's the week, folks. That's the week. I want to remind everyone that this show is called In Let's Be Heard, and it airs weeknights, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern Time. I want everyone to have a great weekend. Of course, I'll be back here on Monday night with you, um, encapsulating everything that happens over the weekend in a wonderful, wonderful world we live in. How's that for optimistic? I'm, I'm leaving on an optimistic note. Do you think I believe what I just said? Well, tune in Monday night. I'll see you guys then. But until then, this is Mike Cachopoli reminding you that your influence counts. Use it. <laughs>